Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another installment of the beautiful podcast. How are you this fine morning? I've had an amazing week. I spent a few days earlier this week uh, in Kansas City for the Kansas City Developer Conference. That's actually the first time I've been to that show. Uh, I've always wanted to go. They've invited me a few times. I've just never been able to get there. Uh, the pandemic is horrible, but it's cleared my schedule out. So I was able to go this time and I had a great time. I hung out with friends and colleagues and uh, uh, industry uh, peers and all that. And, you know, it was just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, I particularly enjoyed just getting to learn um, about Kansas City and just being able to eat more wonderful barbecue and uh, tried a few delicious cocktails. It was amazing. I mean, I just, just loved it. I also got to hang out with my friend and... Uh, uh, lead of Spring Security, Rob Winch. He's so amazing, right? I, I mean, I've always had a, such deep respect for people like him who are able to do 110% with with the uh, limited time and energy that you're, each of us is given each day. Um, and, and then for him to have the time and for, for us to be able to hang out, oh, what a privilege. It was just so, so cool. Um, I'm, I was there and then gone in 48 hours. I and mean, the whole thing was just such a blur, but I had so much fun, so many great meals and moments and everything. I also, uh, my, my friend and colleague, Deshaun Carter, he's a fellow developer advocate. He's a legend. He, I, I had a, a bit of an issue, and um, suffice it to say, I just want to state really here uh, publicly, clearly, as loudly as I can, thank you for helping me, man. You, were, you, uh, you did it unflinchingly, and you were just so cool about it, and I appreciate it. Uh, it's just been, yeah, what a wonderful, cool week. I'm home now. Um, going to be hanging out with my friend, Yoram Bares. He's a, you, you might know him from... Uh, um, activity, right? Activity is a workflow engine that was a fork or a conceptual fork of JBPM uh, from the old Red Hat days, JBoss days, uh, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. That then got forked again, and now is an Apache 2 license thing into Flowable, another Apache 2 license thing, right? So Flowable is an amazing workflow engine. I think I did a Spring Tips video on that. So there's just, there's a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, I helped write the Spring boot integration for uh, activity and then therefore flowable. Uh, actually, Dr. Sire and I helped write the original Spring integration more than a decade ago. And we've just had this really great symbiotic relationship over the years. And I was just so happy to uh, be able to hang out with him. He's in town in San Francisco. It's just been great to talk to him and catch up with we're old friends, right? It's just, I love these reunions that the, uh, the pandemic has denied so many of us for so long. And I feel grateful that I've got the chance to do that. As I'm also grateful every week for each episode that we get to put out, because that is, in a, in a way, its own little mini reunion. And this week's episode, my friends, this week's episode is no different. This week's episode, I talked to the one, the only, the amazing, the ineluctable, the, uh, I don't know, I, the words fail me. There are no superlatives sufficient enough um, for the good Dr. Venkat Subramaniam, uh, who... Uh, joins us today, like I said, and I, I, I tell you, I had questions. I don't normally come into these things unprepared. Um, you know, I have some idea of what I want to talk about, you know, and every now, have you ever watched like a TV show or a night show or a talk show and the guest just comes in and just, just absolutely takes the conversation in a wonderful direction, completely contrary to what they imagine might happen. And the host just throws, just rips up the cards and throws them away. That's what happened here. I had some idea of what we could talk about. And then, of course, Dr. Superman being uh, omniscient and 
uh, just so, so nice and kind and generous with his wisdom. Um, you know, took it in a completely different place. And I just, I love this episode. I don't know how it happened. I don't, I'm just so grateful that I got a chance to talk to him. Um, so, you know, I hope you enjoy as well, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I won't delay it any longer. Here we go. The good Dr. Venkat, Supermanian. It's so rare when that works. Uh, hey, I don't, I don't know. Before we get started, who are you and why should people know you? I don't want to butcher it. I, I, if it was me, I would just ramble for an hour talking about all your stories, all the stories I have of you, rather. So what, you want me to say who I am? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you really, you're one of the few people for whom I can say he needs no introduction, but just in case. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Uh, for those who don't know me, this is Venkat Subramaniam, uh, programmer, author, just a guy who just likes to rant away. So how's it going, Josh? <laughs> Much better now. I am so happy you're here. I cannot believe uh, uh, it's been a pandemic since we got to sit and do one of these podcasts. So, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, was it JBCN or something like that? Yeah, was- we were in, uh, in uh, Spain the last time we did this, I think, a few years ago. Yeah, that was 2019, right? And so, yeah, I, you know, we're closer to four years from that than we are three, right? I mean, it's, oh, yeah. Anyway, I'm just glad you're here. Uh, what about yourself? What do you, you know, you, you haven't, what are you doing? Like, oh, exciting times. My, my day starts uh, these days about what, 1 a.m., if not uh, 12.30 a.m. I do, do work for my clients in uh, Asia and Europe. And then the yeah. rolls by to the U.S. time zone. I do some work for my clients here in the U.S. And so the, you know, I, I used to think that I was busy back in time. And, and now I know what real busy is. But it's right. Been, right? Yeah, it's been, uh, we, are, we are times changing with the times, trying to, uh, you know, do what we can uh, best out of the things we have. So no complaints on my part. <laughs> I, I do it the other way around. I had the same experience, right? We all, we all went online in the pandemic. For me, my I stay up late. You wake up early, right? But me, I stay up late. So for me, it's you know six, four o'clock in the afternoon, California time. It's like Japan, and then China and Singapore, and then India around nine, California time, and then the UK around mid uh, midnight or maybe even uh, sorry, Germany around midnight and France around midnight, UK around one. So I do Asia first, and you know. <laughs> beginning of their day and then i do uh europe in the beginning of their day as well so it's uh but i, I yeah i understand what you're saying and I, so i wake up at you know 10 30 11 which is slovenly you might think but i'm up late i'm up i'm routinely up till three right you know how it is that's yeah. it's it's nice to be able to pack those things together but sometimes you gotta like remember to uh you know stop and smell the roses or something by the way your background where that's I don't see roses, but I do see one of those bison. Oh, that, that's the uh, Rocky Mountain uh, National Park. So you're you're in Colorado, uh, right? The Rocky Mountains. Um, that's. Uh, have you always been there? Uh, this is one of those things I've tried to figure out. Like, why did there are so many great technologists? Obviously, of which you're perhaps my uh, famous and certainly the most well known. You know, um, what? Why? Colorado instead of whatever states next to it or above it or whatever. I mean, what's the, there's a lot of great people there, you know? 
You know, I, I came here to speak at the uh, Boulder Java User Group about, I'm going to say, 16 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I was sitting there, you know, a few hours before my talk, and I remember looking out the window, and as one does, sitting in Starbucks, and uh, I saw this beautiful hill with uh, clouds going on top of it. And right. I thought, how cool would it be to live here? So I went home, packed up my stuff, moved back here, and 15, 16 years later, I've been here since then. It's the mountains that drew me here. <laughs> so did, when, when you packed up your stuff, did that include, uh, you know, your better half, or had you already, did you well, have a better family, you know, the kids kicking and screaming and everybody, you know, uh, drove over here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, then a few years later, they said, well, actually, this is nice. Thanks for moving here. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... I, I think that's one of the challenging issues is if you have kids, you want to move them before they're old enough to remember. They're yeah. right long enough that they don't care. And they right. don't right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Pull the rug out. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's Colorado is amazing. It is truly beautiful, but uh, it's also, I, I don't know if this is true. I, I, I would guess there are actually more Java champions in Colorado than here in Silicon Valley. Right. For some reason, we don't have a lot of Silicon Valley you know. yeah, there's this number definitely here. Uh, a lot of good good tech people, good tech companies. Uh, I, I don't think we make too much noise here, but uh, but I think there's uh, several very amazing and and cool people here. Absolutely. I'm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, it's, that's. I was just wondering. What, so where were you before? Is this? Were you in Texas? Yep. Yep. Houston. Yeah. Twenty Houston. years in Houston. Uh, <laughs> and so you're yeah. a you're you're a professor there. Yeah. You know, which is. Blows my mind. You did. <laughs> well, you are you still a, a you know a professor? I I I still teach. I just teach remotely. It's been uh, fifteen years that I've been teaching remotely, and definitely enjoying interacting with the students. Just don't meet face to face. You know, it's it's kind of funny because when when people talk about you know online and and pandemic and how we want to deal with these, I was kind of scratching my head because <laughs> I've been doing this for you know what thirteen years. By right. the time that the world woke up and said we need to do things online. And, and in a way, I would say it was a little bit of a, a step backwards for me because I've been doing it for 13 years, nobody cared about it. And now that they wanted to do it online, want to do the process, right? So here's the guideline for doing online. I'm like, well, this is not gonna work for me because I've been doing this for a while. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't wanna follow your process because you just woke up one day and realized you have to do this online. So it's a little getting used to, you know, selectively taking things that are good in what they're suggesting. Right. We politely leave the rest of the things out. So, but it's been an interesting experience to uh, to teach online for, you know, more than a decade and uh, make that work uh, effectively because I know I love teaching, but I don't want to be in Houston. I just, you know, want to be away and the amount of traveling I do. Right. It doesn't matter uh, whether I live in Houston or not. I'm not going to be on campus anyways. So, so uh, you know, figuring out how to be effective in teaching remotely is something I took the time to learn over the years, uh, you know, well before the pandemic. And, yeah. uh, and then, of course, um, you know, it's, it's been a really fun experience uh, continuing to teach and, and uh, growing the interactions with the students. Has the, has the technology situation improved markedly since you, I mean, I can, I can only imagine the answer is yes, but I mean, I don't not, know what you're not for what I do, though, and and the reason is 
you know, predominantly, uh, since I've been teaching already for quite a long time, I didn't need any of these tools to get the work done. And, uh, you know, almost all of my classes are uh, what, what they, you know, the beautiful terms we have these days, right? It's, it's what's right. called synchronous online rather than being synchronous online, as they call oh. it. And, and so essentially, uh, you know, I don't meet with the students, uh, you know, live at any given time, other than a one-on-one -on -one meetings that we organize from time to time. Right. So typically, the way I teach the courses is pretty different. Um, you know, I, I came to the realization, uh, people don't learn from my teaching, as simple as that. You know, I can take all the credit I want to take, but the reality is they don't learn from my teaching. What they learn from is their thinking and uh, their practice, their experience. And uh, you can listen to somebody all day long, but the minute you start writing the code is when you're going to say, oh, wait, how does this actually work? Why doesn't this right. compile? Why does this compile but doesn't run properly? Why does it fail? And then when you write a code, especially in the area of software design, how do you know your design is actually good? Well, you can draw on a piece of paper all day long, but the minute you start writing the code, you start seeing problems and you look at the extensibility issues, you look at coupling, you're dealing with all these you know, issues. So what I did uh, you know, uh, uh, more than a decade ago is I realized that students are not going to learn from my teaching. So I, yeah, I do you know, rant away like I normally do, but <laughs> they can listen to my lectures anytime they want to listen. They can listen at the middle of the night, they can listen when they are jogging. It doesn't matter when they are listening to it. But then what we do is, I spend about three hours every single day, literally reviewing their code line by line every wow. single day. And, and that's the only way we're gonna learn. So they write code, they get critiqued on the code, I review it, I make suggestions as to what they need to change, and then they come back and ask for a review the next day again. You know, we use version control, and the entire communication happens through version control and continuous integration. So every time you push the code, a CI build Jenkins come and builds the code. It notifies when the build fails. It does metrics. It evaluates the software design quality. If the quality measures were to fail, we get notification. So we pretty much do what you would expect in a sustainable, you know, technical practice. We just do that as part of course. So we interact like uh, you know professionals interact in the world rather than having to go to a class and listen to a lecture. So, you know, yeah, you can listen to lecture when you want to listen to a lecture, but the real essence is in practicing the problems. And so we spend time actually writing code and practicing. Yeah. So as a result, it didn't matter that we had tools like Zoom. I mean, I, I use these tools a lot more to people, talk to people sure. around the world. And, and the you know, clients I teach in the industry, I use a Zoom extensively. Almost all my classes are on Zoom for my you know, uh, professional clients, right. but it didn't really change anything for the university because I teach those courses pretty differently than right. that class. So, so, so you know, in some ways, yes, the technology made a huge difference, but not in terms of the university courses though. So that's, oh, that's amazing. I, I didn't know you did that. That's, is that, um, well, first of all, I, one relates, right? I, I've been at this, I've been, for, for, I, I can't think of anybody I more associate with being there, physically there than you, right? You're uh, omnipresent, you know, you're, are the, the, if it's, if you're there, there's a Java conference somewhere, right? That's my assumption, right? There's, there's, there's somebody that needs to know about software somewhere near you. And that's why you're there. That's the only reason you get pulled to different parts of the globe. It's like a, like a magnetic force that pulls Venkat 
Dr. Subramaniam at random points in the globe. And I, I don't know how you got around so much. So it's interesting to hear that um, you have this incredible, like in addition to being there, you're also, you have this long running history of just being online, uh, which is really cool. I didn't, I had no idea. I mean, I knew, I knew you were a, a remote uh, professor, but I didn't know you did pre-recorded uh, things uh, like that, that, those asynchronous classes. That's, that's fantastic. Um, for me, I, I noticed, because uh, again, when the, when the pandemic landed, I think, I mean, I was grounded. I don't know about you, but I stayed home for a couple of years. Um, and it wasn't a big deal because most of my work, but again, I don't think people know is even though I got on planes every now and then, most of my work was again, in front of a desk, in front of a laptop. It didn't matter where I was, right? And the spring team, we're all geared up to be remote working. Anyway, we've always been that way, you know, uh, for for the 12 years I've been at the at the company, for example, it's always been online. There's no office you can go to and find the spring team, whatever that means, you know? Uh, you can find individual members maybe, if they choose on that given day, but none of us are, you know, are used to that. So that was just, it was just, it was just nice to just slide right into it. We, we had no change in process, no change in uh, ceremony, whatever. Um, it was just all these other things. It was the conferences. Actually, I, I, do you, I mean, I, I, I appreciate the necessity, but I find the tech checks to be the most, like for all the time we have saved by not having to get on a plane and be there, we've, they've taken some of that time back by requiring like this half hour meeting to do a tech check, you know, <laughs> for all these conferences. And I just, that means that my commitment to a conference is no longer just the hour or 45 minutes or whatever in front of the audience. It's another 45 minutes on another day, some probably in some early hour of the morning, you know, to do a tech check for that stuff, you know? Um, and that's, I think maybe speaking to what you were talking about earlier, the, the processes that people have now developed, which I, we were just fine without them for years, you know? Right. Um, and, and it also varies so much by the tools being used. Yeah. Oh. Organizer, you know, asked me to speak and they say, here's the rule we're going to use. Either it's like, yay, that's great, or oh my God, not again. Not again. <laughs> so, so there's such a disparity in the tools. Yeah. And, uh, and, and even what's even weird is, you know, to, to your point, the, there's one conference, I won't name it here, uh, and they use a certain tool it works for everybody in the world, except me. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating this to you. We spent two hours with the tech support of oh. the printer, and they finally said, sorry, we cannot help you. Your, your, your system is weird. It wouldn't work. So we just agreed that this is just not going to work for me, which is, which is really sad because- Are you using a Mac? I, I thought you were just a regular I, I Mac. Mac. And this is one thing that wouldn't work properly on the Mac. Uh, and then of course, <laughs> that, that I need to remember, oh, if it is this particular client or this particular conference, and yeah. if it's tool, I should use Safari for this, I gotta oh. use Twitch for this. Yeah, so to your point, there are, there are things you need to keep in mind. I, I would say we are to a point where it's mostly streamlined right now. I know what's going to pass, what's going to fail. Right. But, but absolutely, it was really frustrating, at least in the beginning, when, when you kind of end up in a conference or a, or a workshop. Right. You're like, uh, what, do I, what do I click over here? By I don't know. Work. So, yeah. <laughs> Just give me a Zoom link. You know, I, all these webs, all these conferences, a lot of them develop their own platforms. So you have to log into this platform and you go here to do the actual stream, but then you go over here to answer QA and then you go over here to hang out. And I, I don't know. I, it, it's my eyes water. You know, I, I don't know what 
It used to be so easy. Well, I, I say that, but you and I actually got into trouble. It used to be so easy. As long as you could do HDMI, you were fine. <laughs> like that was my tech check. If I could make HDMI work, then I was okay. And that was pretty tri pretty trivial, even uh, in the in the wild west days of my Linux laptop uh, uh, use. You know, but uh, but then as I as I say that, as I pronounce those words, I remember you and I, two people that have done. You know, let's say you you and I have done maybe one or two presentations. Uh, more than the average person, right? Um, uh, you and I were, <laughs> we did that, we did that, um, what show? Was, oh, um, Dev Nexus. We did a show. You and I did a talk together. Sorry. Couldn't get, couldn't get the monitor, couldn't get HDMI to work. <laughs> Sorry. How? How is this possible? How have we done so many and not, and this is, and now we're together, two competent professionals and it, it didn't work. So all these variables stress me out as I guess what I'm trying to say. I, it's it's fine. We'll get through it. There are worse problems to have, obviously, but uh, you know. anyway. Um, okay, good. So you're out there helping people uh, with, you know, build better, you know, better living through software, right? That's all, that's what I'm all about, team better living. What is your, I mean, these days, these days, we, we were just talking about how two competent professionals shouldn't have too much trouble, trouble navigating audiovisual equipment <laughs> but then as we were talking about it i don't know what happened one of our both of our clients either one maybe there's a reverb might have been my fault i think i was switching around headsets because i i just came back from vacation my brain was in the right place and then uh, at some point i think it just built up and then suddenly i started hearing you i didn't hear you i heard like the voice of the devil or something it was absolutely <laughs> terrifying uh yeah so anyway you're i guess I, what i was trying to ask before we were so rudely interrupted by my incompetence um what are you working on what's your focus today these days i mean i, I know you're you know what's your uh, better yet if you were if you're writing another book what would that be about this year you know? well so so there are a couple of things i've been uh, working on one is uh uh mainly teaching courses for clients and uh, uh consulting as well and that's been going really strong you know when the pandemic started um there was a few months of, oh, let's figure out what we're going to do. And then as yeah. time went on, most companies realized that this is going to be quite a while. So uh, my clients whom uh, that was doing consulting work for, you know, on site came back and said, let's do it online. It's been really a rewarding experience. So I spend my day typically uh, pairing with developers. Uh, I've been helping an organization uh, transition into uh, doing automated testing on a full stack development. So we pair up and uh, write test cases and review uh, tests that's been written. So that's been a really uh, engaging uh, uh, work, uh, interacting with the developers, uh, both on the front end and on the back end and, and some QA as well. So it's been a really rewarding experience, uh, you know, pairing one-on-one. -on -one. And honestly, that's the part I've been enjoying the most sincerely. And the reason is you have somebody who is connected with you, you are looking at the code level, it's a minute by minute interaction. The one that I've enjoyed a lot less, relatively speaking, is uh, teaching courses. You know, I love right. teaching courses in general, but all these decades I've been teaching courses in person. I would fly to a different part of the world. I would spend eight to five teaching courses for them over there, which right. means you are there looking at somebody face to face. You can see their facial expression. Now you're behind a monitor. So that's not been as much a fun experience as uh, paid programming is. But I've been teaching a lot of courses yeah. for quite a while as well. Uh, you know, as time changes, you know, a lot of courses related to 
uh, software design practices, architecture, uh, how do you take an application and move to either microservices or create a model or monolith? Uh, how do you really do more of reactive programming? So I've been teaching a few courses on that. For some clients even uh, who came and said they want courses on Spring, for example, I've been doing a few Spring courses as well. So kind of varies by the client. I've been working on that. But other than that, working on uh, a couple of different books. Uh, one of them is the second edition to functional programming in Java that uh, I just finished last week. So uh, it's going to go out for uh, tech review and beta. We're looking at a matter of days to weeks at this point for it to come out. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say probably I have about three other books that I want to write this year, maybe two, if not three. We'll see how so I yeah. just started working. And, and not nothing to be announced yet, but uh, but in the next few weeks, I think I'll have something to uh, to uh, speak about in public. So frantically, in fact, just a couple of minutes before you called, I was just finishing up finishing up a few more lines of text into the book. So I've, I've been stealing, uh, you know, every few minutes between my <laughs> meetings and uh, client work. You know, I look at the clock. Oh, there's 15 minutes between these two meetings. Right under the paragraphs, I've been just you know chipping away at that as well. So. <laughs> A fun experience. Oh, that's so exciting! I so I'm I love that about you. You're there's nothing you won't do. Uh, wow, I don't even know where to start. Okay, so um, the the I I completely relate. Actually, I think going back to what you were talking about a minute ago, you're talking about being on uh, the, the the exciting experience of having the ability to work with individual students and you in your. Uh, capacity as a professor at the uh, University of Houston. Um, I, I was just thinking about that. It's not like you haven't, it's a, there's a huge, I mean, I think there's, I, I, can't, I can't think of anybody who's more prolific uh, out there in terms of like good, watchable, entertaining, educational content that's out there for free on YouTube. Like, I mean, you're just, you're everywhere. And so you've got this great uh, body of work that's out there. And it's, it's first of all, it's not surprising, but it is kind of uh, inspiring to think that there's still hours and hours and hours and hours more that you just do in private for individual uh, customers of, of of that wisdom of that same intensity, and that's exciting. I I would love to be a fly on that particular wall and to learn from that. But then I I, th I was thinking, the, the, you know, the one of the benefits of of um, uh, of your that your students get is that they get to they get you to peer review you get they get you to review their code which is i, I can't even imagine a bigger uh i mean getting somebody of your caliber to pair program with is well i'll bet every minute of that uh feedback is is worth its weight in you know bitcoin or whatever i mean just amazing i think it's the only way to learn and and uh you know uh, from my point of view uh there's a bit of a selfishness there as well um, i mean i'll be absolutely honest about it you know there are times when i would uh, at the university i would give a problem to students and say go solve it and and i'm eagerly looking for solutions that can <laughs> make me learn something and and right. it happens it doesn't happen too often but it definitely happens and right. when it does i cherish the most because you're like <laughs> I did not even know you <laughs> this kind of uh, meta programming, for example, and you can pull this kind of data, which is very rewarding when you when you learn those things. So, right, definitely furthers your um, you know design skills, and 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 so it's it's a two way street, street, right? It's not just that they learn from me; I learn a great deal from them as well. 
that activity also. And that's kind of the real, you know, reason to teach. You know, I, I, I often jokingly say I'm like the, like the guy in the commercial where he has a bald, uh, you know, head. And then he says, I'm the president of this company uh, for hair growth, but I'm a... <laughs> do he says uh, that's kind of what I say all the time is I teach classes but I'm my student and I am the first student in my class because because the main thing you teach is to, to learn from it right that's kind of what you are there for so so it's uh, definitely an exciting opportunity to be able to learn from these things and and uh, and then come back and apply it in, in, right. in projects and jobs and, uh, and and that's kind of where the real fun is I think absolutely and that makes the prospect of having you as a trainer even more amazing to me. Uh, you said you just mentioned that it, it is you, even you, even even people like you, I guess, get Zoom fatigue. It's not satisfying to talk to an audience through the prism of your monitor, right? There's that feedback, that energy, that kinetic energy that that you get by being in the room uh, before there was a virus in the air in the room, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That kinetic energy is gone, you know, for understandable reasons. Uh, and uh, so yeah, that hearing you say you love pair, pair programming, the actual, the actual act of engaging with somebody one-on-one, I think is, you're right. That's a, that's an, ex, that's again, the fact that, that your customers get that and the fact that you so enjoy doing it makes it, I think there's a, a virtuous feedback loop there, right? Like uh, it's the thing you most enjoy. And it's also the thing I would think be, would be the most valuable about having somebody like you on, on, on site or, you know, teaching a class for a customer. Um, so, so this kind of goes back to uh, an experience I had a few years ago. There was a, there was a company in London that called me up and, and they said, hey, we want you to uh, come and do a PDD training. And, and I was talking to them, you know, 4 a.m. my time in London, you know, whatever, uh, you know, in the afternoon. Right. And having the conversation, I, I suddenly said, Hey, I've got a, a question for you, and and, and uh, I'm just thinking if you would be open for this suggestion. And they said, uh, "What do you have in mind?" And I said, "Would you mind if I come there for uh, you know two weeks, but not do any training?" And, and yeah. they said, "Well, we're confused. We called you for coming and doing training. Uh, you want to come out here and not do training? What's what? What do you have in mind?" And I said, "Look, I I can do training. I've been doing training a lot. I can come and do my dog and pony show for your team as well." But something tells me that the minute I leave, people are going to discard everything I taught them and go back <laughs> to practices. And I have a feeling that you're really committed to really applying some of these ideas. So why don't you give me an opportunity? It's not going to cost you anything more. It's a right. same amount it's going to, I'm going to charge you. But instead of doing training, let me just pair up and program with your developers. Just give me, you know, two weeks time wow. and I'll just, you know, rotate and pair with them. And, and he said, gosh, I did not have that in mind when I called you. We really wanted a trainer. Let me think about it and get back to you. And I said, that's fair. You know, if you want me to do training, I'm still open to do it, but I want to post this option to you. Right. A week or two goes by, he calls me up on the phone again and says, okay, we, we discussed about it among the team. And, and we realized that this is a different opportunity than what we thought about, but what the heck, we're going to give it a shot. So I had to come over. So I, I go down to, um, to London and I spent two weeks with the team and uh, it was a very different experience because when you, when you teach a course, you got the material prepared, right? You know yeah. what examples you're going to use and, and you are driving on this with the safety net of your exercises 
Here, there was no prepared material, right? I get thrown into their project. And I remember this one conversation, a developer sitting next to me, this was about 11 a.m. And he's looking at me and saying, hey, Venkat, I'm so glad you're struggling with this. <laughs> you have come and solved this problem instantaneously. I would have felt really bad because I've been fighting this for months on end, don't know how to write a test for this code, and, and I'm seriously happy you are having all this trouble. And, 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 and to be honest about it, I was not really enjoying this because it was frustrating. I was trying yeah. to figure out how to do this. And, and lunchtime comes over and I, and I tell him, you know what, forget it, let's just go for lunch. So we're out at lunch and now away from the computer, away from all these discussions, and, and we're just watching the TV run some sports on it. And my mind is detached and I'm rethinking the problem. And I'm like, wait, I've got an idea how to really do this. Let's get back to desk. And we come back and within 15 minutes, the test is passing and we got a way to write the test on this particular software. And, and he looks at me and says, whoa, how did we accomplish this all of a sudden? And I'm like, well, it's a different method we need to try here. And, and here's the way to do it. But what the, the most exciting opportunity for me on this one was, you know, I finished this two weeks and I, and I leave. And, and this was, you know, about six months later, I get yeah. an email from the manager saying, hey, I just saw that you are, you know, visiting the UK, you know, in two weeks from now, would you be able to swing by the office? We just want to have a chat with you. Sure. And I'm like, sure, I'll be there on Friday afternoon. So I show up to the office and, and the minute I walk in, he says, I, I brought you here because we thought you would enjoy seeing what we have done in six months. And they demo their automated test they have written on their product. And, wow. and I tell you, nothing makes you happier than seeing a team go off and implement all of those ideas after spending two weeks on the real project you know, this is just, my, my mind was blown. And I'm like, I have the deepest respect for the team, kudos to the team, because they took the ideas from the two weeks, but these were really hands-on in their project. Right. Able to apply it and go off and write automated tests. And, and I've never seen such a high degree of success rate, honestly, from my training as I did in that particular mentoring session. Right. And, and this is one of why I really enjoy the consulting and mentoring a lot more from the result point of view, right. as much as I do training, don't get me wrong, I do a lot of training for companies. But if you ask me at the end of the day, what I feel more accomplished, I would say it is that mentoring session than a training session, because the mentoring session really takes you, it's a very humbling experience because it takes you directly into the heart of their systems. And, and you're dealing with a real problem and applying the concepts in a, in a real work rather than the hypothetical examples we often build. And right. to me, that, that's the most rewarding part of what, what, what I, th I think we get the opportunity to do is that, is that exposure to real projects. So do you, when you, um, I, I, cause I agree. Now I, I write, I, I noticed that you write, you're, you're, um, you're insane. You you use TextMate, but you write code on stage without. We talk about safety nets and talk about being in the deep end. Uh, I know that you've done your talks 
a number of times and therefore there's some muscle memory that kicks in. Certainly when I write, when I do code on stage, I've done that code <laughs> once or twice as well, right? I am, and so I do have a safety net in, in a sense, but it is still live code. We're not doing slides. And, and I, was, I always thought about that. Why does that, I, I don't know. There's some people for whom code, live code isn't appealing, I suppose. But for a lot of people, it just seems to connect better. Um, and I, I, I think I like live code because it's an expressive, concise way to convey a technical concept without beating around the bush. I can just show the code. And if you don't understand, like, I don't have to explain what the code is. I can just show you the code and the code explains itself, you know, uh, especially if we introduce it and talk about it step-by-step. Step. And I find that's a very nutrient dense way to convey technical information, right? I can show live things, demos, code, whatever. Um, and, and the hope is so that when they leave, when they, in, in, as we all, as all presentations do, when the presentation's done, uh, I, my hope is that they are then better prepared. They can see in their head the code that they're, that they need to employ uh, to go then um, act on it, right? And, and again, it's to get to that, that moment that you just described where it delivers, it results in value, right? Um, I don't know, is that, what, what was your motivation for showing code? Uh, and 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 doing that live as opposed to just doing slides is I guess what I'm trying to figure out. Is it because like me, I think it just it results. It gives them a it gets them closer to something they can then take to to their desk and try out. Or what's the I think there's the motivation? Two reasons, at least in my mind, that um, that I think I want to go this route. And 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 you know definitely you know no doubt about it. Right, you got more moving parts, a bigger risk for a failure. You know, right. you, how many times have you started coding and you're like, oh, darn, I don't have the right version of the right. compiler or whatever that could be. So, so there's definitely more risk. But, the, but, but you know, the, I think the benefits outweigh the cost for two reasons in my mind. The first reason is when, you are, when you're writing a code uh, and explaining things, you are literally walking down the thought process of writing this code. You, you are building the code like the way we build code. So, right. so you're not giving an, you know, when, when somebody's watching a presentation, that's not the way they code. That's not the right. way they think, right? It's, it's, a, you're, you're switching to a different modal, modal modality. Right. Whereas when you're doing a live coding, you are in the same modality as the audience. That's the very first thing. You're walking, you're, you're one with them. Right. As, Presenting it—that's the first thing. But but the second second thing. There's no and, mapping, and there's no mapping. There's no cognitive mapping yeah. to mismatch here. The right. second thing is when you are writing code, it's going to fail. And yes. when it fails, the audience realize that you are as broken as they are, <laughs> and as good as they are. So, right. so you are not anything different, you're not anything special, and if you are able to do it, heck, I can do it too. It gives them the confidence to see that you don't have things behind your sleeves that you're pulling out. No it's rabbits, yep. Problem. And, and, and the beauty is my, my best presentations are not the one where my demo fails, but it's the one that it fails and the audience are there to rescue me. And, yes. and see, that is the moment because now you know they truly are connected. 
when when you're typing the code and when it fails, somebody says, "Look at line seven, you made a mistake," right. and you're like, "Dude, you've been paying attention." So yeah. <laughs> error in seven, it it works, and you're like, "This is amazing." But but the last aspect of this is while you're doing this demo, somebody says, "Excuse me, but how would this work?" And you're like, "Let's try it." And yeah. the live code, and you can try it. If it works, that's great. If not, we got another thing to explore. So to me, that ability to actually modify the code, and this is one of the reasons I tell my audience, I never give the same talk twice because the audience changed the talk and yeah. the type of questions they ask. You know, I was stretching the course yesterday morning, and into 15-20 minutes, I was presenting one concept when somebody said, well, how would you do this? And I had no plans to even talk about it. And I'm like, whoa, that's a great question. Let's go take a detour and look at how to solve the problem because that's important to you. I would rather address the topic you care about than talk about the topic I wanted to talk about. So, so right. that's the beauty of this, uh, this ability to change the material live based on the audience uh, and, and that, of course, requires, you know, blessings from the demo guard to a certain extent. You want to make sure that your compilers are going to work, the tools are working properly. It also gives a little bit of a confidence as well in terms of, I know the material, I can go off the beaten path, I can go off the script, and I can still intellectually talk about stuff because the goal there is not to present, the goal there, goal there is to learn with the audience, and, and that's that's exactly what I think we are achieving by going off the script with the with the live code. I think. Okay, I that makes sense and that that clarifies. By the way, how much do you have to go in a few minutes? I've got about twenty minutes more. Okay, okay, I, I have more questions, uh, but we had that audio uh, kerfuffle uh, just a minute ago. I didn't want to keep you though. Um, so speaking of that, um, when I do live code, uh, I write code. One of the nice things about doing the live code is that you get the, uh, it's a test harness. Now, of course, I don't write tests in my live code because it's 60 minutes and I just want them to see the working thing um, in one place, right? It, I, I, like that's another thing. I always keep my programs in one code page, right? So that they can follow along everything and they can see it all in one place. But if I have lots of little chunks, it makes it hard to keep that in your head. Mm -hmm. um, with tests, tests, you've got little individual isolated chunks, but I prefer the iterative build as you go. But in my own code, I write tests, right? I do tests first uh, a lot of the time and not all the time. And, and this is what I kind of wonder about as well is you just talked about having that Archimedean Eureka moment with that person with whom you were pair programming uh, where you went to lunch and, you know, let the mind wander. And then suddenly there it was, right? The, whatever it was, I, I, I don't think we covered what the solution was, but you, you jumped out of your proverbial bath and ran back to the uh, to the computer and, and uh, tried it in Eureka, not, right? Not naked though. That was no, 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 no. <laughs> Proverbial, I say. So, uh, so, and so that, I guess, I guess um, one thing I love about uh, test-driven development is it helps me clarify what I don't know, right? Um, and the other thing, the other, once I've reached the extent, once I've reached the bounds of what that can give me, you know, it, you know, you know how it is. You write code, you do test-driven development, you do 
something and you, you make changes and you see feedback. And at some point you get to a point where it's not working. You're just, you're stuck. You're, you're bumping into the same wall over and over as you just described. <sighs> what are your, so I guess my first question is, what is your approach to solving a problem about which you have some idea, but not the details? And then second of all, what is your approach for stopping uh, if you've got a problem, right? Like, how do you, like, uh, I, do you take a walk? Do you shower? Do you go, I mean, what's your approach? When do you know? Or walk in the shower. That's even a really common. Good <laughs> well, a rubber, rubber ducking. I mean, there's lots of strategies. I just wondered what it is that you find valuable for, you know, getting the brain engaged in a different way. So, so, so one of the key things about, uh, you know, test-driven development uh, to me is that there's a gap in, in how we think about this quite a bit. Um, if I am trying to do something that I've never, ever done before, I have no clue what I'm doing. It right. makes no sense for me to write test cases. So right. what I would do is I have this discipline where I would step away from the production code, but I would be writing a prototype and I would beat the heck out of it. And, and I would try all kinds of things on the prototype, pure experimentation, try nasty ideas together, throw things away. Oh my gosh, it doesn't work. Let me go back and try something completely different. So I invest a lot of time on those things. And, and to a great extent, I would say, this is probably one of the luxuries, I, I probably should use the word, that I have with me. And, and, and the luxury is, um, you know, I'm definitely client driven. I have to deliver things for my clients. I've got to do things for, for businesses I work with. But I also have the luxury of saying, I really have this interesting problem that intrigues me. And I want to really learn about how to solve this particular problem. So I'm going to allocate two days on my calendar where I will not do any other work, but just investigate and research on a topic. Right. This to me is a pure luxury because a lot of people don't have the ability to take two days off their life and just do whatever they want to do, tinkering with research without having a boss over their shoulder saying, are you done yet? And, and, and so I invest a lot of time on those kinds of research from time to time. And, and typically sometimes that's the Saturday and Sunday that goes away uh, or a long flight where I would do nothing but research on things. But in all honesty, there are times when this has happened very clearly, but I'll give you one example of this. Um, I had promised my wife at that day that we'd go for a hike and we were supposed to leave at uh, 7 a.m. And we were going to go on a hike for about five or six hours planning to come back around two o'clock. And I, I, I got up at three in the morning and I really wanted to work on a little problem. So I started coding away at three and I have an alarm set on my on my uh, you know phone uh, to say that I need to leave so I can go on the hike with her. So I'm frantically coding away, and at six forty five, I'm totally stuck. This is not, and I cannot break out of this. And and the alarm says it's time for the hike. So I go out on this hike with her. Took an hour for us to drive to the you know mountain we wanted to go hike, and we are in the middle of the hike. And, you know, after all the chit-chatting and all the things, there's a time in a hike when you're quiet, right? You're just yeah. your way through. And my mind is slowly starting to process this problem. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think I know how we can solve this problem. Mm -hmm. But I'm away from the computer by a few hours. 
this is painful because you got <laughs> want to try it, but you're not near a computer and you can try it. You don't have an internet connection. You're up in the mountains. Yeah. Well, like we finished the hike. We come back around at two o'clock back, back home. And I, and I tell her, well, it was great hike, but I really want to go back and tinker with gold now because <laughs> I mean, and then one thing I really enjoy uh, with her is even though she's not a programmer, she has developed this beautiful technique to ask enough questions so I will rank off. And, and, and she figured this technique where she, if she plots enough questions that will anger me enough to think deeper of the problems. So a lot <laughs> of times I would, I would go down and tell her, I'm really stuck with this problem. And then she would ask questions enough to really start me detached from the problem and rethink about it. And I'm like, oh, that was really useful. And she's like, and, and she's, this is the, you know, the, the ability to really have that somebody to speak to. Yeah. Going down methodically to think about the problem. And, and she works as that springboard, if you will, a lot to really help solve these problems. And then she's really good at it over the years. She has gained that technique. So a lot of times I would go talk to her, even though she's not a programmer, I would go for a walk, I'd go for a hike, uh, or simply, I don't watch TV, but when I'm stuck with the problem, literally I'll go in front of the TV and turn it on, I'll be staring at it. Because it's most mind to be taken away, and then as I'm staring at it, I'm beginning to rethink about it. A lot of times she would say, did you hear that? I'm like, no, I'm just what? I'm not listening. I'm thinking about <laughs> again, right? So, so one of the biggest lessons I think is when you're stuck in a problem, walk away from it. And, yeah. and when you walk away from it, your mind detaches and then starts walking down the path again, a little bit more methodical. And you end up, you know, identifying the spots that you missed the last time, and that often leads to solutions. And, and stepping away, you know, in a way, if you really think about it, right, the other day, metaphorically speaking, this is the fun part, you know, when we, when we talk about problem solving, sometimes you're not able to solve the problem because you're too close to it. And, right. and metaphorically, we were, uh, my wife and I were at the store the other day, and we were standing by the shelf, and we wanted to see what was on the shelf, and she was saying, I can't see what's written over there about that product. And I immediately told her, well, that's because you're too close to it. And, and then I thought to myself, whoa, that is so true for what, what we do, because you step away a little bit, you're able to see it, but you're sometimes too yeah. close that we're not able to see. So a lot of times we are too close to a problem that we're not able to see the solution. When we step away, I think it gives us a better clarity to identify the problem as well. In, in a same yeah. way as you know, the, the things in the shelf, we're too close to it, we can't see it. I yep. Okay, that's. I always wondered if that was a uh, your experience, and uh, yeah, good. Um, I don't want to. Oh, so we're we're running short on precious time, and I and believe it or not, all this stuff about methodology and all that was. This is all. I had no idea we're going to talk about all this. It's been amazing and really, really. We can talk about this all day, but I have some other questions. Like I actually had some questions I wanted to ask you. First of all, uh, Java, yes or no? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but no, but I mean, Java 17, Java 18 is out now. Java 19, I mean, you you just updated you just updated um, functional programming in Java. Like, 
how, how's it doing? You know, how do, what do you, what do you think of the current state of things? What are you looking forward to? You know, that kind of stuff. And I, also what's, I love what's going on in the, in the Java ecosystem. Uh, you, you know, I, I gave a talk a year or so ago uh, and my talk was titled, uh, this isn't your parents' Java. And, and, and that is so true if you really think about it, right? So if, if you saw Java about, you know, six or seven years ago, and you see Java today, you're like, whoa, there's so much has happened in the language. And, and, and I've definitely, this is exciting to me. Uh, I've been uh, working with clients and uh, embracing some of these newer uh, releases of Java as well. So, so I'm all, all uh, it's, it's music to my ears in terms of what I'm hearing uh, going on in the Java development. Absolutely. I'm, you just updated a functional programming in Java. What's the, I mean, Java 8 came out. What, what's, that's a long time ago. What's the new stuff, you know? Yeah. It's the new book Encompass. So, so the book has been, so I don't know if you know the story behind it, but I actually, Over Christmas. Sorry, go ahead. Over Christmas, you wrote that book, right? 14 well, days or something I, like that? I did, I did. But more interesting though, the book was released the day Java 8 was released. So oh, wow. I started writing the book two years before Java 8 was released. So I was writing the book in parallel as they were developing. Uh, and, and there's a good news and a bad news, right? The good news is the book was released when Java 8 was released, but the bad news is uh, I didn't have the experience using Java 8 as much as I had experience knowing about functional programming. So just ah. about eight years, I've been using Java 8 for client work, helping companies transition into functional programming. There's a lot of stuff I've learned from that experience, number one. Secondly, I've also learned quite a bit about what people actually care about. I can tell you how many times the question I get asked is, how do you deal with exception handling in functional programming? So, so when, when the publisher said, hey, would you like to really update this to a second edition? I'm like, yes, please, because I want to bring my uh, you know, knowledge into the book. We, we had a really good book before, but I think there are things I can add to the book that make it more valuable today. And, and of course, you know, walking down the book, for, uh, to state some examples, right? We did not have the being function in the collectors back then. We did right. not have the take while and drop while function back in right. mind, just to mention a few. So I've upgraded the book for those things, but I added uh, four new chapters into the book, uh, a chapter on exception handling, absolutely, and a chapter right. on uh, transforming data where you just focus on applying the collector's API. And then I added a chapter on what I would like to call as refactoring to functional programming. Hey, here is all legacy code that I've come across, but how do you turn that into a functional style of programming? And then the fourth chapter I added, what I wanted to really bring about was what I like to call as an idioms of functional programming, where I've seen a lot of bad code written in the industry. People have learned about functional programming, learned about Lambda expressions, they're thrown together. And I can't tell you how many times when I give talks, I say, here's a bad code, have you ever seen it? And the hands go up and say, yep, we see it on our code base. <clears throat> right. uh, writing a chapter on warning people not to have those practices and then go back and write better quality code. So that's kind of the improvement I've made in the book. It's been an interesting journey to see what, how good it was to, what, how much better it can be moving forward. 
amazing. And I know that you, like me, are a fan of uh, reactive programming. And I think a big, uh, big part of reactive programming is, is the silent F in reactive pro programming, which is functional reactive programming, right? You, you, you talk about mutating data. Functional programming gives you a way where you can describe pipelines, where you can mutate data, and you can, you can speak with reason about the state of a thing at a given point in the code, right? Um, because it's, it's pure, right? Um, so do you speak to that? And also, you know, I, obviously right now we're at a kind of an interesting place because I think, uh, well, even Java 8 Streams API, for example, it had support for fork join pools and, and uh, scatter gather kind of stuff. Uh, but now we have reactive programming and, and soon we have um, Loom, you know, so I think the JVM is getting serious finally in the last 10 years, it's getting really good about, about making functional, scalable sort of uh, processing more natural, you know? I don't know. Does your book speak to um, the fork join stuff? Does it speak to reactive programming? What is it, you know, in that section on data? No, it, it doesn't. So, so the reason it doesn't is the, the book is on literally functional programming in Java. So, sure. so I wanted to keep the core focus on what you can do within the JDK, within the right. you know, Java, not having right. to use external APIs and third party. And in all honesty, the reactive programming API is great, but there's no real implementation within Java, right? You still have to use third party solutions for all right. purposes. But, but however, the concept of functional purity, the concept of immutability, the concept of being careful how we you know, write functions, uh, things that, you would, that would help you to write functional code and reactive code, that fundamental is covered in the book. But the book right. itself is not on reactive programming, so I don't mention the word reactive anywhere. But, but the, you know, and, and you know, one, of, one of the things that I realized over time was, you know, to the point you made, uh, reactive programming is functional programming plus plus. So once you understand programming really well, you're building on higher level of abstractions from there. So that becomes a natural transition. So, so even though the book doesn't go into reactive programming or, or, or those things that are not entirely, you know, directly functional sure. in nature, I don't cover those, but, but there's enough of the fundamentals to go learn those things and, uh, and, and be able to apply them. Is that, is, uh, is, is one of those new books that you teased that you might or may not be writing? Is there, does any of that do either one of those or uh, do any of those have anything to do with reactive programming? Not, not at the moment. I've, I've not considered writing a book on reactive programming uh, just yet. And, and, and part of the reason is, uh, you know, I, I generally what motivates me to, to write a book is, uh, Typically, it's it's a it's a fairly selfish motive. I, I don't write a book because somebody else wants to read it. I write a book <laughs> because I feel like uh, I want I have a story to tell or I have something that I feel excited about to say. And then there's a lot of excitements in reactive programming, but right. not not exciting enough for me to yet commit to writing a book. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. What about the? So you did a book on uh, Kotlin that that was a when was that when did that book go out was that during the pandemic or before it was before that it was before that yeah wow that book was Thanks, nice okay. yeah. yeah so coroutines have gotten more fully formed uh in the intervening years right i don't remember when the book came out but um what do you i mean what do you think of the state of things there you know i'm just very curious about your thoughts on you know i'm very excited about loom you know and i'm also very excited about reactive programming and 
coroutines in common. And I just think we're, we, ha we have a, an abundance of choice uh, in the Java community, which is great because if you, you know, prior to Java 8, it felt like we had none, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think Project Loom is going to be really huge, and and I think it's going to reset the playing field quite a bit. In, in yeah. a way, if you really think about it, you know, I, w I was kind of uh, not so thrilled or uh, clear about what influence Lambda expressions in Java is going to have, but hindsight, you look at how it fundamentally changed how Lambdas are used on the JVM, right? Every right. language on the JVM uses the implementation within Java for the Lambda expressions, right? So, so that's the power of the infrastructure really having the capability. And, and I, I'm going to bet you that what project, what, what Lambda expressions did to functional programming, Project Loom is going to do to code teams. And ah. so when Project Loom becomes, uh, you know, a, a standard that we can use, which is not very far from the time we are, then right. the different language implementations are going to look around and say, gosh, look what we can do. We can start really providing syntax to compile to bytecode that's in Java to make use of it. And, right. and you know, that, that, that's, that's the beauty of it. All the languages are going to raise up because Java provides that capability at the language level. And, and, and that's going to be uh, pretty darn interesting uh, in terms of how that's going to influence. I'm going to say, let's talk about this in a year, uh, yes. maybe a year and a half. I, I think we're going to see a huge amount of difference in terms of uh, how, uh, you know, Loom is going to influence uh, not just the Java programmers, but the entire ecosystem, I think. A rising tide floats all boats. That's right. That's uh, exactly what it is. Yeah. Doc, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I wish we had more time, but we don't. Um, you're on the internet. Do you want people to find you? And if so, wh where, do, where do they find you? Oh, uh, just Google and you'll find me. That's as simple as Do that. <laughs> Dr. Vin Dr. Venkat Subramaniam. And uh, uh, sir, a pleasure, as always. Very, very well, and can't wait to uh, share a hug with you in person at the next opportunity. Be well. Be well, my friend. Thank you. Cheers. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as that really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.